coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. I'm joined remotely by my illustrious colleague, Ben. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks, Lee. How are you? I've been doing fine. It's been a stressful couple weeks here in uh, in uh, both life, art, and uh, work. But uh, it's all going to come together. We're going to make it happen, and it's all going to be good. How are you feeling health-wise? I'm good. I've been, um, I've been trying to be more, uh, what do you call it, consistent in my days. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to not be too crazy one way or the other. So I've been yeah. quite healthy. Good. Starting my days good, yeah. Good. I, I just, I heard this horrible report that, you know, people are, st- you know, they'll still feel um, the effects of, of COVID months and they think perhaps years afterwards. So it sounds like uh, you've recovered really well, which makes me very happy. Well, now that you say that, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I'm still sick. It, maybe I've terrified you. Yeah, I should knows. probably call in. I'll I'll call in sick to work on Monday. Just to okay. be sure. Good. Just you you won't go into the office that no one's allowed to go into on Monday. Just to be sure. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, um, they're uh, they're saying that um, even though people may have antibodies to COVID, those might only last six to twelve months, right? Um, and they're also saying that even if we do develop a vaccine, and there are, is some promising news coming out, although I feel like the news about uh, COVID vaccines is like the same news about. Uh, UFOs. It's like they're always they're they're always about to tell us that aliens are real. <laughs> they're almost <laughs> about to tell us that that COVID can be solved, right? Um, but yeah, even if they do develop a vaccine, uh, it, it might not be uh, effective without uh, without boosters afterwards. So exactly, we'll kind of like the 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 cold every year. There's we have to develop a different uh, shot because the strand changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there's been this video going around of George Carlin um, years ago, and people are saying like, "Oh, this George Carlin, he could be speaking to us now about our moment." And it's it's all about like who's really in charge, and you know, it's actually our corporate corporate overlords, all the stuff that we talk about on this program. Um, but when I was driving the car the other day, I have like a bunch of comedy and music just sort of like on shuffle. And so uh, uh, another old Carlin bit popped up, which I thought was even more relevant. And um, it's funny because his stuff is so out there and awesome that you can kind of, if you're on the left or the right, it's so extreme uh, in his like twisted but brilliant view of humanity that you can kind of go off into a like crazy left wing or right wing direction with it, which to me proves that like all of this culture war bullshit that's pushing us aside might be solved if we all can kind of come together and laugh about it. But um, one of the things he was talking about is like how he always roots for the bad guys uh, when watching um, when watching uh, uh, crime movies and, and talking about like you know never uh, you know never be a rat, never collaborate with the police. You know they're not on your side. You know never snitch on people. And then he was also making fun of those people who were like, want to save the planet. And he was like, save the planet. No, no, we need to be saved from the planet. The planet's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and then he was talking about like uh, all of the things that, um, that the planet does to make sure that it, um, 
it saves itself from us. And it was talk, talking about like, hmm, why don't we develop these things called viruses? Those, those seem to be seem to work, and you know they uh, uh, they can spread really easy, and then they can also mutate. So the the these human beings, they you know they they won't be able to adapt to it. And then you know the, then the planet says, ooh, how about we have one that 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 messes with their uh, uh, immune system, some sort of human immune deficiency virus. And oh oh, how about we make it transmitted by fucking that will even discourage people mm. from fucking and then there'll be even fewer humans. Isn't that great? So um, <laughs> it, it, it's great. I, I, keep, I kept saying, like, oh, I wish Carlin was around. I wish Carlin was around because I think he would have everything that we would need to hear at this moment. And uh, I'm happy to report he kind of is and he's kind of a genius. Even though he, like, in that same special I was listening to, he also just, like, as a joke, listed off all of the, uh, the, <laughs> the most famous slurs in the, the human idiom, which um, I thought was interesting. Mm. Yeah, he was, he was a master at that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wasn't afraid of anything. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of stuff he said that, like, would get, he'd get canceled for. Uh, but and I'm not one of those people that's like PC culture is ruined comedy and like oh now there's girls and South Asian people doing comedy oh, it sucks like I'm not one of those people but like definitely uh, someone like Carlin would not be able to make it today saying some of the same things that he said and that's just because mm-hmm. like liberal America we've become the uh we've become the book burning party right we've become the banning party we've become the uh um silencing of opinion party you know and then <laughs> we've become uh we, we've become that side so um but it's very interesting so i, I recommend going and listening to some some old carlin it might uh, might get you riled up and inspired i did yeah okay i'll do that <laughs> okay good. your wish is my command me lord you should just do a warcraft 2 podcast just, yes me lord yes me lord just a, a just a show about a 25 year old 2d animated strategy game about orcs what what is it <laughs> stop poking me see i always give you the fun homework you know what you know when we're about to talk about a show i'm like oh go watch the western high noon <laughs> You know, go, uh, you know, go play uh, uh, these N64 games uh, uh, and uh, go listen to George Carlin. And then you're like, hey, read the New York Review of Books, which I realize <laughs> is just, well, I keep leaning on the little uh, thing. I realize the New York Review of Books is just Reader's Digest for people pretending to be smart. Yeah, I guess. Reader's Digest. Right? Do you remember that? It was like a little book that you could yeah. get at the end of the, you know, in the impulse buy. Oh, I know Reader's Digest. Yeah. And it would be like for people who are too stupid to read a Dan Brown book, it would be like explaining <laughs> a Dan Brown book. So uh, we're the kind of people who are like, we're too lazy to read uh, books from the Harvard University Press or the Yale University Press for that matter. But we'll read an article about these books. And so you sent me this article uh, for the New York Review of Books, Disinformed to Death, that I think we both found interesting for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is funny because it, it does talk about how we delegitimize the academy. And it's funny that two of the books he's reviewing, Jonathan Friedland's reviewing uh, three different books about the history of disinformation, cyber attacks, and, and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, one is from some publisher I don't know, and then the other's from the Harvard University Press, and the other's from the Yale University Press. So if you're trying to make the argument to like trust the academy, the New York Review of Books, like telling you to read shit from Harvard and Yale, is not exactly uh, uh, the type of uh, secret society skull and bones type of um, type of media outlet that uh, that you're going to want to look at. Mm. Yeah. No, I was thinking more about. Because I'm also reading uh, one of my favorite historians, Eric Hopsbaum. I'm reading his Age of mm. trilogy, quad, quad, whatever. I don't know. I think maybe there are four or five of them. Tetralogy. The last, the last one left off in '91, and and over the years, I was thinking like at some point I wanted to try to write the next installment. And I realized it should be '91 to 2020. Ooh. But that doesn't mean I I can write it right now because a lot of it. And so one thing I'm trying to do is kind of like parse out like how is how are some of the the things today that he points out in the age of empires when I'm reading now, 1875 to 1914. So a lot of what he was talking about then is still happening now. And so I was like, well, how is today's era or age distinct? And so, you know, when we talk about like, oh, our corporate overlords, this or that, that also was happening over a hundred years ago. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I thought about is like, so in reading that article I sent you, we know that like data is like one of the most valuable assets and that, you know, we move from physical property to digital. Yes. But then what does that mean in terms of like truly f- having a fundamental shift like we did, he was saying after 1914 or between this age. And so what I was thinking are, so the, the biggest things that we need to change are where corporations are no longer uh, like our state, like in a capitalist have capitalism really work as it does you need politics in the state to be protecting the like protect protectionism he says is really can be anywhere and it's the state protecting the interests of corporations and their national identity and so you need that military backing to protect your interest in extract extracting other people's resources exploiting them um, but also keeping your currency strong so i was thinking the big things that need to change for it to be actually different in the future is if corporations like Facebook already tried to do and all the big tech ones are, are doing and being very intertwined with national security interests is mm-hmm. having their own legitimate used currency yeah. and then also their own mono- uh, military, which at any point, if we have tech companies developing all of the stuff that is used by state-based military, at any point they could just start using it themselves and it'll be mainly non-person, you know, robotic AI type stuff. But we also get out of the ideology of like needing to be grounded in a certain national identity, especially when our chief asset is data about other people. We still need material possessions, obviously, because that's Mm -hmm. what people still want. But I was thinking like, once, if we ever get to that phase where there actually are transnational corporations yeah. with currencies that people use, that they have a monopoly on, and they have their own military, uh, then we're in a true, I don't know if you want to call it corporatocracy or what you want to call it, yeah. but it's where those corporations are in actual direct competition with still legitimate governments. It's not like the U.S. government and U.S. currency is just going to disappear. It's just now it's not 
this kind of uneasy cooperation. It's a true like direct competition. And I think in part that was like that parable of the sower book by Octavia Butler. Mm. Um, if I remember correctly, it's kind of, I think that's the world she envisioned. It yeah. takes place in LA where that is kind of what you have, like where you have these corporate protectorates and you're either in or outside in this sense, physical walls, which would still happen here. People are still going to live somewhere. It's but a it's gold. Like those, yeah. But it's those a, are the key distinctions. It was the currency and the military. Yeah. Still hasn't happened in history yet where corporations have their own currency and have their own military. They use that of their na- home state. So yes. then I would say, so that's not the 91 to 2020. I think this age, I don't know what to call it, but the next one, if it happens in this way, which hmm. I, I hope it doesn't, but you know, if it does, and that is a true break from anything we've ever seen in the past. Yes, except in James Bond. And I would describe what you're calling as a goldfinger op goldfinger opoly, a blowfeldopoly, a Draxopoly, a Zoranopoly. Describe. Dr. Noopoly. So the Bond villains are always these guys who on the outside are legitimate businessmen. Orica Goldfinger, Hugo Drax, Mac Zorin, right? But secretly they are um, operating as their own state and um, collaborating with other actual state governments, developing their own military technology through the corporate pipeline and bank funding, but meanwhile using it not to arm uh, their, their allies or the states in which they might be operating, like the United States and London, but to arm themselves, right? So in the case of yes, Goldfinger, totally. he teams up. So he, in the case of this, this book written, you know, 1957 or something we got this rich industrialist who is i think like a former nazi uh and he's got a uh uh he teams up with the chinese to get a nuclear weapon and then he has his raises his own army and air force to use the nuclear weapon in fort knox not to steal the gold but to make the gold so radio radioactive that it can no longer be used, thus fucking up the backbone of the U.S. Treasury and essentially undermining the United States. And he fills that vacuum. His plan is to fill that vacuum as a world power. Totally. And this and is oft repeated. Yeah. And that's why these Bezos guys, these these Zuckerberg guys, they we all, and, and especially especially the Tulsa Tulsa Tesla guy, Elon Musk, they seem like Bond villains. They, well, because they do want, like, think about Facebook. They want world do, domination. Yeah, and that's why they tried Libra. Because, like, imagine if they had a breakthrough, Yeah. what would happen over the next five years? It's like, as you get a job at Facebook, it's like, we're going to pay you part in the currency that we produce. And, you know, a little bit of U.S. currency because it's still valuable. But that fundamentally, and then within 20 years, it's a whole new world. Yes. Like, and now that's I get the, a job. Um, it's like, do I want a job, like, part of getting your job is like, which currency do I want to be? It just, it, it adds a whole new layer of complexity and uncertainty too. Cause you're like, it's, should I get a job at Facebook? Is a Facebook currency going to be valuable? Which, you know, other people like the U S we're obviously privileged in a way where our currency in our lifetime and our parents and our grandparents has been incredibly valuable. Yeah. But, um, so I'm not saying this is unique, but it adds that layer where that's kind of what they're going for. They are Bond villains and they do yes. want this. It's and, not it's not, a... and it's not like naive or like for us to be 
or to think like, oh, you know, this is what they're doing. And people are like, no, you're, you're overreacting. It's like, why would you think that a very small number of people don't have machinations like this? It's like the, there have been humans like this forever. So what's to think that they don't still exist? And of just because they look dorky and they're computer programmers, which none mm -hmm. of them actually are. Like Bezos no. came out of iBanking. Yeah, uh, Apple, uh, uh, Steve Steve Jobs, the motherfucker couldn't code. They all just stole everyone else. Yes. They're, they're not even, so they're capitalists, but they're also like- Pirates. Or what did you say? They're like uh, Bond villains yes. more than anything. Yes. And that's why they're doing things beyond what even like the Roosevelt's would do, which is I'm just going to make my own currency and raise yes. my own armies. And my armies might be robots, but I don't care. Well, think about what happened to the Appalachian miners in the United States. Um, some of the people who, uh, some of the working people who have been treated uh, uh, more poorly and frankly, genocidal, it, it treated, they were treated, frankly, in a genocidal fashion, um, these coal miners. And a lot of the times they would be paid um, in sort of like company bucks, right? There'd be company a company script. store. What, what, what was company it? Company script. Script, right. Or script. Yeah. Is it with, yeah. Was, with just a P oh. at the end? Oh, I'll look it up. Keep talking. Yeah. So they, they would get paid in these, this company script, right? And um, they would spend all day in a coal mine. And for me, if you're working in a place that literally kills you and gives you black lung like a coal mine and you're not making enough to support your family, I would consider that to be a form of industrial genocide. Not as direct, oh, yeah. as, just, not as, direct as just gassing someone to death in 30 seconds, but a slow burn version of that. So they'd make this script and then they would just go into the corporate store and they just give the script right back. And they're stuck in this endless loop. Then of course, all of these jobs uh, eventually went away. Well, before that they tried to unionize, right? And they would bring in like the Pinkertons and all these, these uh, um, strike breakers who not only did they like sow communist, uh, sow communist dissent among the unions, they literally killed people. These strike breakers literally would kill union leaders. You, you hear these oh, stories yeah. about these Appalachian un, uh, uh, um, mining uh, union leaders and they would just disappear. Yeah, sometimes they found like their bodies, sometimes they didn't. about Jimmy Hoffa, people are like, oh my God, he's so violent. He's like, what the <laughs> fuck do you think they were up against? <laughs> well, here's the thing, Ben. It's no mistake, okay, that McDonald's, their own corporate currency, they call it McDonald's monopoly. Mm. And I, I believe you had a friend or colleague who was somehow involved in like the investigation into the McDonald's monopoly, monopoly scheme where like a former cop was like using yes. McDonald's monopoly to make millions of dollars. In but, Iowa? Yes. And yeah. I think that the McDonald's monopoly, monopoly is the model for um, basically how they'll just keep uh, the poor alive just enough so that they don't um, mm -hmm. they don't revolt against us, right? Because if and the government yeah. is not going to give us the, the UBI or uh, yeah, whatever you want to call it, the, the freedom dividend or whatever, um, the, the corporate entities are going to have to keep us afloat enough so that they can still extract something from us, right? Whether it's data, whether it's work or whatever. And I remember as a kid when they would do McDonald's Monopoly, we would, you know, scrap, to get my friends and I would scrap together like a dollar or something. We go down, we buy 
you know, we would buy a menu item, a dollar menu item, and th that had the little McDo uh, McDonald's Monopoly thing on it, and we'd try to win. And then one of us would win something, we'd go buy something else, and then we'd, off of a, you know, a couple dollars, we'd sort of feed ourselves for the afternoon by playing this weird corporate game. We'd throw in a little bit of money, and maybe we got a few bucks back, but at the end, it was still, we still lost that first dollar. Even though we might have consumed $5 worth of, of, of product, we were still losing that $1. It was the, the, the same version of, of the script. So the trick is, how does, the, how does the company get us that first dollar, right? Uh, that they can get back to us. Well, you know, you see all these texts, they're like, you know, just click and take surveys and you'll, you can make like 10 cents a survey. Or, um, you know, like when we do those CAPTCHA things where it's like click on three mm -hmm. things that, uh, that show a school bus or whatever, that's actually monetized. We're actually doing work. Oh yeah. Like that is, I forget exactly how it works, but it's like some kind of like photo identification software or something. And by doing that, by having human effort to do that, we're helping with that, uh, that research to go. So we're doing work for them. So I think it's going to yeah, be the kind of thing where, where they do, yeah. a, you do a couple things like that. You get a dollar's worth of corporate credits and you can, and we'll be able to do this all just on our phones, right? So we'll all be sitting on the couch watching Peacock and, and, and watching all of these stupid advertisements and the advertisements will say, Hey, open up this app, play this game. You'll make 10 cents. Then you play it 10 times. You make a dollar. Then you put your dollar back in the system and you're able to get your Starbucks bucks and you go down to Starbucks and you get your Starbucks and you're just in this endless loop where you're not really doing anything except um, earning enough from your corporate overlords to to throw that money back in. It's the new version of script. They don't even have to have us go into the coal mine. Got you. Yeah, exactly. Us. So you got that, and the only difference would be because since this has existed in the past, and it still does, both Amazon and Walmart, or Walmart's in Mexico is the most recent example of it. Amazon pays people in swag bucks but they also give them us currency. It's the same thing. But it's the um, same thing. But that's but this but the reason I like that article too is because what it shows is part of the way they're using this data is to keep yes. enough people in either a state of disbelief yes. or just belief that this this system is better than the other ones or it's the only or or it's the only way of doing things. So it's yes. so also diabolical or like mm -hmm. um where where we're trapped in this like ever like this Mobius strip where we can't yes. get out partly because of using that one of the uses of our output, which we're doing from our couch because it's mm -hmm. so divorced from nature at this point mm -hmm. is just to target enough misinformation. So targeted at individual people in individualized ways, you get enough people to, to just buy into it to be complacent about it or to like you were saying in the back in the day to go up against progressives or union or things like that. And so it's just this self-reinforcing loop, which, you know, if we look at history, it's probably not going to last more than a few generations without like a massive physical revolt and rebellion because yes. people will realize it's, or not people will realize people already know that it's fucked up, mm -hmm. but enough people will be convinced that it is. And it's like the only way out of this, machine is to break the machine whether you succeed in breaking the machine correct you can only the only way to find out is to try and so then you have a hot war and 
Yes. It's just fucking, wow. it's just crazy though. But yeah, so it's company script with no T. Mm-hmm. And if you go on Wikipedia, the pictures of company script from Colwood, West Virginia, just like you yes. were describing. Yep. Numismatics. And I got but yeah, is that crazy that the most recent modern practices in 2008? It's the same thing. Well, the 2008, the Mexican Supreme Court yeah. uh, ruled that Walmart of Mexico could not uh, pay employees in company script. Script, the same shit. <laughs> and then what's also just ironic that the Washington Post. Wait, is that how Mexico is going to pay for the wall? Through script? <laughs> yeah. He's gonna, we're going to give them. There's gonna there's Walmart. gonna be Walmart script. Okay, we're gonna have Walmart script. It's great. It's better than Kohl's cash. Okay, and then we're gonna <laughs> use it to build a wall, folks. It's gonna be a beautiful wall, a Walmart. We're gonna call it the Mexican Walmart. And, and and so will we come up? Will there be windows where we come and get our goods and wares? Like how will the wall work? There's gonna be a no contact racism. You can be racist against the employees of Mexican Walmart without even making contact. You can walk by, wave your handgun around, not wear a mask, use racial slurs, and then leave. No contact. It's going to be great. But I got so the quote I'm... to back up what you were just oh, saying. Yeah. And this is from the article you sent me, Dis- Disinformed to Death by Jonathan Freeland. And I think this goes to exactly what you were just talking about. And yet it would not be right to conclude that today's disinformation efforts are simply a high-tech version of those of the past. The differences are more substantial than that. Today's active measures are simultaneously more personal and more broader in reach than before. While KGB operatives in the 1950s might have placed a forged pamphlet pamphlet, or bogus magazine in front of a few thousand readers, their heirs can now micro-target millions of individuals at once, each one receiving bespoke messaging designed to press their most intimately neurological spots. Those engaged in what they call computational propaganda don't merely mind the attitudes you've expressed on social media. They can also draw conclusions from your behavior as recorded by your credit card data. Side Mm -hmm. note, the ultimate script, right? Credit cards, because you can get like cash back, right? But we'll go to that in a sec. And it's more cash back if you use one of their corporate partners. Okay. And just more. Think of all the data gathered by the connected objects around you, the internet of things, monitoring your sleep, your meals, your habits, your every move. This reveals more about you than your browsers ever could. uh, uh, Says the author, adding arrestingly that we've been focusing on the wrong internet. Genius. Yes. And so in terms of that personalization, earlier in the article, he site so he says probably 70 countries at least have paid employees of the state usually that do misinformation he points out so in china they have two million people employed that are writing about a half a billion messages a year yes uh vietnam's got ten thousand students uh and and so on so yeah that personalized individual uh if we just think about the scale China alone employing 2 million people could is, 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 is it's insane. Yeah. And you know, who knows what we're doing, but I mean, the Russians are, clearly, Oh, we're doing the Russians are clearly winning. And you know, these three, three books that are, that are, are being reviewed uh, in, in, in the, the NY book review, um, they, they really delve deeply into um, sort of the terrifying realness with which 
these uh, uh, agitprop campaigns were conducted by the Russians, that it wasn't just like putting up weird ads or weird articles. They were like literally creating people, right? Uh, fake people, um, whether they were automated bots or they were like, like they would, they would create these profiles that were targeted to uh, sort of be appealing to specific uh, 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 people. And then they would get those people to go out and have the protests. And we were talking about this before. They would, they'd get a bunch of people riled up because their, their religious rights were going to be taken away. And then they'd get a bunch of anti-Islamic people to get riled up to, to protest against the, the, the Islamic people. And then they would, the police would have to get called to deal with this clash. So, you know, we have different groups clashing against each other for no reason and then using police resources to come and bop them on the head while Putin's laughing. Now, all of this being said, okay, now I agree, this is all happening, it's all terrifying, but who's to blame? Russian spies gonna be Russian spies, okay? It only works because we're so easily manipulated and we're so stupid and the, the establishment in this country is so fucking embarrassed that they managed to lose to a orange rapist who used to do fast food commercials that instead of saying, wow, we are weak-minded people who are completely out of touch with how people actually feel, that it's much easier for us to blame the boogeyman of Russia than it is to acknowledge how fucking stupid we really are. And at the end of the day, yes, was, was all of this anti-Clinton stuff hurled against us constantly? Were we all sort of emotionally fucked by it? I guess. But at the end of the day, it didn't change my vote. Okay. And the reasons why I had some objections to Clinton, both in terms of her, uh, her policies and also her, her history, had nothing to do with all of this agitprop. And at the end of the day, it didn't work. Because I'm not a feeble-minded fucking idiot. And I'm sure someone could listen to this and be like, I'm just a fucking bot and I'm just a product of all of this. Well, that's very easy for those people to say. Think for your fucking self. <laughs> well, I, but also like you, but it's also the, in the, this, this establishment that they've been around so long. And yes. we know that for a good 30 years, the assumption in the democratic establishment that is that they could win presidential elections without even going into the heartland or the rural areas. So there's even cases in Ohio and Wisconsin where senior campaign organizers for Clinton yeah. were discouraging local organizers from actually. So it's not even that people are that were stupid. This or that. It's like there's stupid and smart people all over the world. Depends who you ask. But yeah. it's like it was just so dense and self-assured where it's like, well, we don't even need those people as if they're like part of a different world. And yes. And those are those same, the same heirs of, or the same descendants of those coal miners we were just talking about. Right. And, so it's like, and it, where was, so where were the liberals? Where was FDR to protect those fucking people? Okay. Where was JFK? Where was Bill Clinton to protect those people? Nowhere, nowhere to be seen. Cause like you just said, they didn't fucking care. And so those people, they were like, well, fuck you. We're going to vote for Trump. Yeah. And, and then we have the audacity to call them fucking trailer trash. 
Exactly. That's what I mean. Well, they had been calling him forever. And so, I mean, one thing I like about the Age of Empire. So he ends in the end of World War One, and he said. Also his, a good ripoff of of, uh, of Warcraft 2, speaking of. There's a game called Age of Empires made by Microsoft. Okay. They just ripped off Warcraft 2. It's even their video games. They just steal from other games. Anyway, sorry. Seriously. Please continue. So what he's saying is like, it's also hard. You can't, like, there's no one or one person, one group, one name, anything to blame for anything. Yes, especially as large, and so it's like what what he what he really got to do is like unravel what's the role of each, not necessarily down to the individual level, but different large groups, say media, politicians, business, you know, in the U.S., nonprofits because it's such a big thing, uh, unions. Like, what did each group? What were they doing, and what were they not doing? Um, and he has this great line. He said, probably, so he's saying the argument about the origins of the First World War has never stopped since August 1914. Probably more ink has flowed, more trees have been sacrificed to make paper, more typewriters have been busy to answer this question than any other in history. Isn't that great, though? More trees have been sacrificed. <laughs> it's genius. The print theories of what happened. But yeah, it's like, but the, and then the line I love also from the disinformed to death, uh, only the most optimistic Kremlin spymaster would ever have dreamed of a U.S. president who himself, unbiden, encourages the American people to lose all faith in their institutions, to distrust their media, scientists, judges, and intelligence agencies, even to take wild risks with their own health and so make a vicious pandemic worse. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's like, hilarious. Well, I, I think that, you know, when you write your 1991 to, to 2020 book or whatever, you know, I, I, I think it's the, I think you should call it Bin Laden One. Well, it's got to be called the age of something. The, okay. Uh, the age of the and American. And the problem of, we can't name it now because we, first of all, we don't know if there's going to be an autocratic breakthrough in January. We don't know what this decade yeah. holds. So, so it could be called is... the age of the American Reich. Because that's what we're fighting to stop, is the American Reich. The age of American, well, well, 91 to 2020, you couldn't call yeah. it like American fascism. That would be 2020 to whatever. Yes, but that's how it's built, right? So 1991, we quote, win, unquote, the Cold War. But as this article- And the internet, and the World Wide Web. Yes, starts, worldwide, right? the information superhighway. And this article points out that the it wasn't really the, the end, that the end of- the Soviet Union didn't mean the end of the hostility between the United States and the uh, no. and the the, the Russian uh, uh, power elites. Um, so we, we we basically only get ten years to enjoy the moral authority uh, of and the the hegemonic uh, um, respect of being the hegemonic power. We only get that for a decade, and we're walking around and we're thinking America won. America worked. You know, after all the world wars and all of the, the cold wars and all the tumult, we emerged. We're free. You can say what you want. You could do what you want. You can vote for who you want. The food's good. The music's good. Everything's good. Bam. The towers go down. Mm. And everything changes. And I just, I remember. 10 years. Wow. Just all we had was 10 years. Yeah. Francis Fukuyama spent his whole life or last 20 years atoning because he called it the end of history. Like liberal yes. democracy has broken through and now we have reached utopia and then realized he was wrong. 
Yeah, they I talk about that. In, they talk about uh, they talk about that in Star Trek Six. You know, I think it's Captain Kirk. He says some people refer to the future as the end of history. Not at all. Not at all. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what we're seeing now with you know the United States just entering um, a cold civil war that is really on the brink of erupting into a hot civil war, depending on how the election goes or is stolen or is cheated in, in November. We could really, really see. You know, I think people are gonna. Unfortunately, there's gonna be, there's gonna be some some violence. I think. I think it's yeah. un fucking voidable. Someone um, just on that point, real quick. Someone point out who studies China. It's like, I'm seeing this more and more, and now I'm reading this book about that ends with World War One. Yes. That nation sometimes. He was saying World War One started in part because each nation at some point decided it was if they saw something happening you take an action when you think you're at your strongest. Mm-hmm. And I've been reading more Chinese yes. or historians and policy people, war policy people of China being like, they might, we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know what the U.S. is going to do. But if something like China, India, mm-hmm. Russia, the U.S. decide that this is the time to strike because we're at our yes. strongest relative to our others, it could, that is how it could happen. Yes. With I think or without it, the election stolen next year. I mean, I think year. we can call this whole time the age of the stormtrooper. The other oh, day yeah. during one of the Portland protests, all of those uh, federal agents, they came out wearing these like gas masks and these helmets and they looked like evil robot stormtroopers and someone played the Imperial March. Dun, 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 you know, when all the stormtroopers, oh, yeah. Darth dun, Vader, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. You know, Darth Vader, all the stormtroopers, they march around. So we as a society have sort of said uh, that the stormtrooper uh, et arrive, right? He's here. So the term stormtrooper itself. So you're, you, let's talk about World War One. Let's talk about a, a country that that they feel like they're at the peak of their power and they're ready to go. Germany, World War One, because I personally think that World War One and World War Two. Are, it's just one conflict, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so the term stormtrooper, a lot of people associate it with World War II, actually comes from World War I. There was the Sturmtruppen, and they were an elite squad of people, of, of soldiers. And then um, the Nazis, when during World War II, they had the Sturmerblättlung, some other stormtrooper thing. Um, and they were the stormtroopers, right? And we we seen them with their gas masks and their guns and their and they have what we call the Fritz helmet, you know that little like kind of biker type helmet with the little flare on the side. Oh yeah, right. So we go through, and the stormtrooper is supposedly destroyed, right? And then we come to 1968, okay? And 1968, the Democratic Convention in Chicago is one of the first times where we saw some of the imagery. Um, that is so ubiquitous now, ubiquitous now, this imagery of cops beating people over the head. People were coming to the Democratic Convention to oppose the war, right? And the Chicago police, they came out in these helmets and they, they bopped these people on the head, right? So there's a young guy watching this on TV and his name's George Lucas. And a few years later, uh, you know, he comes up with this, this brilliant, but sort of cold and lifeless, humorless movie called THX 1138. It's so lifeless, it doesn't even, it doesn't even have any fucking names. <laughs> it's just, just a number, right? And it's about this authoritarian society. And there's these guys who, they look like uh, those cops from 1968. Um, but their faces, their faces are metal, but they actually look sort of like faces. So 
we see these autocratic guys, but they're not quite, there's still something human about them. And the movie didn't connect, right? It was too cold. So he decides to make a movie for kids, right? And he makes this movie, American Graffiti. And, and, and it clicks with kids. <laughs> it clicks with kids. And, you know, you got Richie Cunningham and he's playing this, you know, um, this youth, this youthful guy who wants to get out of his small town and go out into the world. And there's this, you know, hot rotting guy who, you know, always trying to get chicks and trying to impress people, but he secretly got a heart of gold. And this movie connects. So he, and then his next movie, Star Wars, he takes this idea of an authoritarian society, right? And these, these cops bopping people on the head and he combines it with those archetypal characters, the young boy who wants to get out of town and that becomes Luke and the hot rotting guy who's just trying to get chicks but has a heart of gold and that becomes Han. And suddenly all of the people who didn't wanna watch this movie that was like clearly bopping you over the head about cops bopping over the head are flocking to see this, this movie about taking down an autocratic police state, culminating mm -hmm. in the third film where a quote, uh, um, um, where a quote primitive society, the Ewoks, um, take down the the stormtroopers, right? And that's what he called them. He called these characters, these lifeless cops, these lifeless humor humanless soldiers, stormtroopers. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. And finally, in that film, they no longer have human faces. <laughs> and. It culminates in the end where the, the, the Ewoks, they take down the soldiers and they, they bang their, their helmets and they win. Now, the Star Wars movies, they can be seen as, as like the ultimate commercial films and the ultimate Hollywood films. But gotta remember, those were independent films made by an old hippie from, from Northern California. Those films, even the, hor even the bad ones, are some of the most subversive movies ever made. And they have infiltrated us to the point that when a bunch of guys march out, federal agents march out with, with helmets. By the way, the helmets they wear are called Fritz helmets because they're modeled after the German helmets the stormtroopers wore. Fritz, German, right? They come mm -hmm. marching out with their masks and we immediately get it. Thanks to George Lucas, we get it. This is the evil fucking empire. Wow. I did not know that's how he merged. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know what his first two movies. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the first person to sort of put it together that way, but I mean, I think, I think it's, it's pretty common knowledge. Right. And then we flash forward to, to uh, September 11th. Right. Now back in the, the Vietnam era, uh, uh, these poor kids who were drafted, they come back and, and then, you know, we call the baby killers, but something happened in the United States in uh, 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 after 9-11, where even the people who were opposed to the war were like, support the troops, not the war. And, I, and I'm definitely among those people. But the irony was, right, that these kids weren't drafted. These kids chose to go over there. But for some reason in this war, we acknowledge that, oh, we don't support the war, but we support the kids. So a little bit after we go, and about the same time we go into Iraq and Afghanistan, Another Star Wars movie comes out. 
Attack of the Clones, probably the worst Star Wars movie, if not one of the worst movies ever. But it is, again, one of the most subversive movies ever. And I always thought as a kid that the Clone Wars and Star Wars, the clones were the bad guys. And I always thought the stormtroopers were the bad guys. But in this film, as the evil uh, guy who's going to become the emperor, the evil space wizard, Sith guy, Palpatine, as he is manipulating a stupid politician, Jar Jar Binks, George W. Bush, into going into war over basically a, a tiny little explosion of violence compared to all the violence going on in the world, galaxy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, as he's manipulating us into war, he's creating this army of clones, of stormtroopers. But we find out that the stormtroopers and the clones, they aren't the bad guys. Not yet. They're on our side. They're on the Jedi side. And, and a bunch of kids grow up while their older brothers are going off to war. And, and they say, I don't support the war, but I support the, the troops. We see this movie about an evil war, but the troops are good. It's an incredibly subversive film. And then Order 66 happens. Palpatine snaps his fingers and suddenly that turnkey dictatorship, those clones that all the kids grew up saying, oh, these were the good guys. They turn on the Jedi and they kill them. I mean, the Holocaust happens, right? Stop Flash worrying and love the bomb. Yes. Flash forward to today, okay? Something I always notice at protests is the, whomever is sending the police response, okay, they always make sure to have a diverse coalition of, of, of folks uh, sort of manning the batons. They're not just gonna put, they're not stupid enough to just put all white people out there, okay? It is a uh, rainbow of diversity uh, in terms of the officers they put out there. And um, I always feel like this is disgusting that basically, they will use men and women of color as political props to say, how could we possibly be racist? Right? And then there's a couple of shows that, that came out recently on HBO in particular, right? Uh, the Watchmen and Perry Mason. Both of them portray African-American cops who are good guys. They wanna be heroes, but they're part of this corrupt system of white supremacists, okay? That see, uh, that use him uh, and her, both of the characters in these two shows that use them uh, to, to push forward their supremacist agenda. Okay, and so we always talk about, oh, diversity will, will prevent cops from being racist. No, 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 no. If the system's racist, it doesn't matter who puts on that stormtrooper uniform. Okay. Now, when the new Star Wars movie comes out, we got new stormtroopers, right? And in the old Star Wars movie, we never saw the actual stormtroopers take their helmets off. We never saw what their heads looked like. We knew what the clones looked like, but the actual stormtroopers, the real uh, flesh, the real, you know, naturally born, I guess you could say, soldiers, they never take their helmets off because they are always that faceless, nameless person. They're just numbers, THX 1138, no face. And in this movie, this incredibly stupid Disney movie, a stormtrooper finally takes his helmet off. And the first stormtrooper we ever see, the first face we ever see is of a young black man. And we learn his story. He was taken from his family and enslaved and forced into this supremacist system to be a stormtrooper. 
It's a subversive film, incredibly subversive. And it might just save us from the, the American Reich, the age of the stormtrooper. And it gives me hope that as these fucks march out and gas us, we play the Imperial March. We'll be right back. And we're back talking on the internet with Ben and me, Lee. How you doing, buddy? Hi, Lee. That was intense. I, that was good. And I'll the own the one the last line of the book, The Age of Empire. The only certain thing about the future is that it will surprise even those who have seen furthest into it. Lee. Mm. So even you will be surprised. Yeah. See, I, oh, I try to chart out as. Prophet. I try to chart out as many possible scenarios as possible. I try to think, okay, based on what I know now and, and what, his, what history is, what are a yeah. hundred different things that could possibly happen? And maybe three elements of those hundred things turn out to be true. And therefore it's not a surprise and I'm at least prepared to react. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that, but I like that line that even in our prophecy, which I do all the time too, mm -hmm. even we will be surprised. Yeah. Well, you're only a prophet when you're dead. You're just a crazy guy. There's a million crazy guys, right? He's saying a bunch mm -hmm. of shit. And when one of those guys turns out to be correct, then he's a prophet, right? Arthur mm -hmm. C. Clarke, uh, Gene Roddenberry, uh, uh, Heinlein, all these sci-fi guys, Asimov. They were prophets in a way. I mean, they predicted a lot of the technology and social issues that we see today. George Orwell, you know, was a prophet. But at the time, they were just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Only profits because they were proven right. Are we going to bring anyone on today? Do we have anyone coming? We by could. Oh, is it COVID and we they can't? Make they can't it? really get in. But I mean, I don't know. Is there anyone you want to talk to? I don't know. I want to leave it up to you. I think. Uh... Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the um, the quote that that you sent me um, the other day from the uh, famed uh, uh, Chinese uh, artist. Ai Weiwei is a, a very famous, um, very famous artist. Um, and he basically grew up in a uh, Chinese forced labor camp because his, his parents were, I think his dad was an outspoken uh, artist or, um, or activist of some kind. Whatever he was doing, he was basically thrown into a communist gulag in China. And, and mm -hmm. this, this young man grew up there. And he's become famous for his uh, dissident art including uh, this exhibit on Alcatraz Island. And he answers this interesting question from our, our pals at the LA Times in a very insightful and heartbreaking way. So the LA Times says, asks, what are your thoughts about the protests sweeping in the US right now, addressing anti-racism and police brutality, among other things? And Ai Weiwei says, I only sense the moment happening in the US from a distance. What I can see is the deterioration of major power on the edge of collapse. The issue is not simply the deeply rooted racism and other related issues, such as gun violence and police brutality, but rather a moral and ethical vacuum in the time of global corporate authoritarianism. We are living in an extremely divided world where for too long, discussions on protecting humanity and human dignity have been missing. And as a result, social divisions have continued to widen unless we solve the real problems. The symptoms of this chronic illness will persist. 
And in Disinformed to Death, uh, Friedland talks about how we no longer view those who have oppo opposing opinions to us as just political opponents or, or people to debate with. We perceive them as domestic enemies. Domestic terrorists, even. Terrorists. Yeah. Our, the beast is eating itself from the inside. Yes. I don't want to fight a war against Appalachian coal miners because they voted for Trump. They, even if they take, even if, even if people who support Trump take arms against me because they think I'm some evil uh, liberal Zionazi, I don't want to see them as my enemies. I don't want a civil war. And yet, no. like, we're, we're definitely in a, a uh, cultural cold war, cultural cold civil war, a cultural civil war. <laughs> I don't know how you want to call it, but. But, uh, who, and, but the longer we're also cut off, like in this book also, he, he says one of the safety valves of, um, of keeping social pressure down below the point of rebellion or revolution or civil war is migration that so many people mass emigration. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it could be this odd thing where if the U S has cut itself off from the ability to go to other places out of either fear, this, that, or the other thing, or people just don't leave that's in some sense, I mean, it needs more than just, obviously. Well, they don't want to go to the shithole countries, Ben. Exactly. That's what I mean. And then, and, and we don't want the people from the shithole countries coming here. Right. So, you know, and we have a lot of the other ingredients in the mix that could brew over is, is what I'm saying. That sometimes yeah. things don't bubble over because enough people just leave. They're like, I'm getting out. Yeah. But if either people don't leave or we're not allowed to go anywhere else, that isn't as our fear says, a shithole country, then. Right. Well, that's the premise. Happens. That's the premise of, of Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Ship, Sheep, mm -hmm. uh, which was turned into Blade Runner. All of the people who can, who can make it, they go off world because, you know, uh, Earth is just an acid rain laden piece of shit. So all the people who are sort of genetically or financially or culturally or politically fucked up have to stay on Earth while everyone leaves. Right. And um, that reality is becoming manifest. So once again, Philip K. Dick, a crazy man in his time, is now bizarrely a prophet. I mean, he also wrote Man in the High Castle, right, which is basically about, well, you know, what if America was taken over by the fascists? Okay. Well, what if we lost World War II, right? The ultimate hairy turtle dove historical what if. Marvel Infinity, Marvel, Marvel What If of history. <laughs> what if the Nazis won? But mm. the fact is, it doesn't matter that if it was the Germans or the Americans, because the Nazis are sort of winning. We're still wearing, the Americans are wearing the Nazi Fritz helmets and the Stormtrooper mask, marching around bopping heads. Now, do we, do we not have a, uh, people getting you know, sent into ovens yet? Getting put into gas chambers and burnt in ovens? No, of course not. But things look different. Genocide looks different now than it did 70, 80 years ago. Mm -hmm. Just like work looks different now. You know, mm -hmm. a, a blue-collar worker might have had to go into a coal mine in the days of 
of of Hitler. <laughs> and now they go to Amazon Fulfillment Center. Now they go to Amazon Fulfillment Center. So if the coal mine looks different, folks, and let's face it, being in a warehouse, although you're going to be exposed, a bunch of people are getting COVID and all this stuff, uh, and being in a warehouse is horrible. Being in a warehouse is, is probably better than being in a coal mine. In the same way that, um, you know, living in a, uh, a community that is uh, stratified by food apartheid and is next to a bunch of uh, polluters that are against regulation polluting uh, people and, and, then, and, and therefore committing a form of slow burn genocide, that looks different than a gas chamber, but <laughs> the effect is the same. You're wiping people out. Keeping out the, quote, caravans of people from our country uh, and basically leaving them to die at the border or sending them back to their countries where they're going to be killed uh, um, by, you know, whomever crazy dictators in charge. That may not be gassing them to death, but if the end result is these, these people, their cultures disappear, then it is a form of ethnic cleansing. Keeping people from other countries out of our country is a form of ethnic fucking cleansing. But I'm yeah. just crazy lib. No, we're going to face, well, that's the thing. We're going to face more and more people moving. And if you don't let people in yeah. or, or impede their movement because you mm -hmm. create a human-made border that doesn't actually exist in nature, yeah. then yes, what happens? And that's what uh, Children of Men is about too. Again, yeah. Children of Men, like, that movie was prophetic. I mean, the whole thing was about keeping the immigrants in line, right? And this was, during, now that came out, like, during the Bush years. So this was before, you know, all of the Mexicans are, are rapists build a wall kind of thing. But we all knew there was still a, 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 a discussion, a debate about comprehensive immigration reform in the United States. We've never actually taken it up, but it was definitely part of the political conversation during the Bush years. Meanwhile, in England, all of this uh, anti-Islamic uh, uh, stuff was uh, uh, causing similar issues about immigration as well. So yeah, the crazy men become prophets only when they're right. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about something it's fun? line. Like what? <laughs> I know it's a different. Thing. It's like it's I heard fun. someone doesn't want to be asked about sign stealing oh. anymore. Uh, uh, Charlie Pete Rose hustle. <laughs> yeah, someone in Miami, but weird. maybe maybe Pete Rose is down there. I don't know. What else is what? What? What else is what's fun in the world? What's going on out there? I don't fucking know. Like just you know, more video games. Have we forgot how to have fun? Um, yeah, I, I think maybe the things that used to bring us joy, like watching movies or, uh, or playing video games or watching sports are more just like things to like kill the time to fill the time rather than, um, rather than something that actually brings us joy. You know, like but I think it's all a frame of mind. The things we can do, anything one day brings us joy, the other day gives us sorrow or pisses us off. But it's all in our heads. Yes, I think we, I think we're just, I think, I think we need to not realize that, you know, we're uh, we have more control than we uh, than we think we do. Of course we do. I mean, I've been trying to have more fun these days and laughing more and joking around and. 
We have tons right. of control. And I think that protest, like when we take, literally take, on the take the streets, that proves how much control just our physical bodies have. And as annoying as all of these like boycott things can kind of seem, ultimately our, our buying dollars are our most important vote. You know, like votes can be miscounted and uh, people can uh, be thrown off voter rolls, but a dollar is always a dollar. So that's why I would say that capitalist. What's that? You're such a capitalist. No, money is the about, end all, be all. No, you're gonna eat money. No, what if all I'm the food saying, systems? If they're break shooting down? you with, if they're throwing spears at you, pick up their spears and stab them in the heart with them. Right. So what's I the like money? money. Gonna, what's the money gonna do? I can't stab you with a dollar bill or a digital currency. I need weapons. I need seeds to grow my food. You know. Well, look at it this way. Okay. The, in terms of us sacrifice- <laughs> Look at it this way, sonny boy. Sonny boy. In the, the age of American decline and the rise of the American Reich, you know, the, the time after 9-11, we, we just quickly decided we didn't really care about privacy. And, we, and we play, that plays out all the time now. And we decided that at the airports, uh, we could let them, you know, stick their fingers up our children's ass and feel us up and make us take our pants off and all of this kind of shit and humiliate us. And of course, uh, uh, target and terrorize uh, uh, men and women who looked or sounded uh, Islamic, okay? Um, and we just began to dismantle all sense of freedom or propriety over our body. And the reason is when you buy a plane ticket, have you ever read your plane ticket? <laughs> You, long time there's all sorts of things you you're signing exactly you're signing a contract to make yourself chattel you're signing a contract that signs away your humanity and your freedom so i always say that we should have a great airline boycott and this is accidentally happening already but i always said before covid that on christmas Everyone in America, if we all decided none of us are going to fly, we're not going to fly. We're not going to buy any plane tickets. The stock market would go crazy. And then on that the beginning, and that then that Monday, all this setting aside all these differences. And on, on that Monday, then we dictate fucking terms. We're going to, here's our new ticket contract, motherfucker. So that's just a little example. All of these, you know, all of the take a knee NBA guys, and God bless them, all of the, the Meryl Streep, fuck Trump at the Oscars people, God bless them. What if all of those people said, none of us is going to pay any income tax until you close Guantanamo? They could actually do something. If everyone in Los Angeles said, none of us are going to pay our car registration, and none of us are going to pay any of our tickets. And we're all just going to park all of our cars like on the lawn of City Hall, and we're going to boot them ourselves so you can't move them. And we're not going to pay any tickets until you defund the police, motherfucker. Then we'll be in a far better position to dictate terms. But as you said, that requires us putting down our, our feelings that we are domestic enemies and terrorists against each other and realize that it doesn't matter if you're red or blue, you're getting fucked by the same fucking broomstick. 
And that's kind yeah, of I mean, that, And it's also why it makes being a prophet in some social science easy because more, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll be right if you just think that a small group of people will get their way over a large group because it's easier to coordinate. So, you know, you usually be right because it's just, you know, a group of 10 people in a room is a lot easier than 10 million on the streets. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like a lot of this mass mobilization works, but what what state does it have to get to where even 10% of people, which makes enough of a difference, I mean, we'll I think go along we, with this. I think we need to see literal, I mean, not need to, I think it would require seeing literal, as a, as Trump would call it, American carnage. And we're starting to see what American carnage looks like. Okay, American carnage looks like stormtroopers uh, uh, hitting, uh, throwing gas at pregnant women and and shooting at uh, at Vietnam veterans. American carnage looks like um, rolling up trucks to the loading docks of hospitals in Brooklyn and loading them with bodies. American carnage is, is Karen's screaming at, at black women in fucking AM PMs, telling them to, to go home, <laughs> go back to your shithole country. When in reality, her ancestors dragged her ancestors from that country. We're seeing American carnage. But I think it has to, it'll get to a point where like there's just literally, there's literally just going to be, have to be like starving people on the streets. There literally, it has to be like people just getting shot by, like by cops, like in large groups, getting gunned down by cops, like on TV for it to really happen. Because I mean, like the civil rights movement only happened once they saw like, you know, ladies getting bopped on the head on TV, right? On on the Selma Bridge. And by the way, God bless and honor, uh, 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 an honor to, to John Lewis, uh, rest in peace, rise in power. But I think we're starting to see that moment. And I, you know, I, I always, I always, I always support the idea of Antifa. It's not a group, it's an idea. Because if you're not anti-fascist, you're at best neutral on fascism and at worst pro-fascist. Okay. But the whole Antifa aesthetic of like, you know, dressing up like the fake Batmans from Dark Knight and putting a bike helmet on and, 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 uh, 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 talking about your polycule and yelling at the Proud Boys. <clears throat> that aesthetic, those people aren't normal people, quote unquote. Those people don't, they, they at, the, at the worst, at the best, don't speak to normal Americans who are going to go to the ballot box and the cashier uh, uh, to, to put their vote in their dollar. And at worst, they turn them off. But when you have, but the, the moms, the pregnant moms with the bike helmets getting bopped on the head, the, the dads with the, um, the dads with the the blowers blowing the <laughs> the tear gas back on the fucking stormtroopers, like that is people look on TV. And go, oh, that's me. Okay, so maybe that's what it requires is is people being able to to see themselves uh, um, in this re- see themselves as part of this revolution. Now, does does that un- in some ways like uh, whitewash the movement and also silence the voices of the um, of the, the, the people of color who are actually uh, at the front of this revolution, both in terms of the leadership, but also in terms of who has the most at stake? Yes, of course. I don't think that the, I don't think that the, uh, uh, the uh, bike helmet moms and the lawn blower, leaf blower dads should be um, the, 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 like the number one heroes. No, the number one hero should be the people actually putting their, their lives on the line 
because they know they're statistically more likely to get killed by cops. They're the heroes. They're the leaders. But I think that they're going to need an army of allies behind them. They're going to need an army of leaf blower dads and bike helmet moms behind them. So, Lee, you yeah. are an eloquent and loquacious human. But the answer to my next question, you get okay. one word All right. for an answer. On February 1st, 2021, who will be sitting in the Oval Office? One word. I didn't say name, I just said word. You can answer it everyone. Who will be sitting in the Oval Office? Grandpa. Hmm. Man, you skated that one. <laughs> you predicted you know, the future. I love I love my grandpa so much. You know, I uh, I have uh, I wear I have some of my grandpa's clothes, their jackets, uh, their gloves. I have both of their dog tags from World War II. I mean, they they if it wasn't for them, uh, I wouldn't be alive in in so many ways. If it wasn't for their love, I wouldn't be the man who I would be. And yet I remember my grandpa driving us to the, the Hickory pit in Walnut Creek, California, his favorite breakfast restaurant. And as we're driving on the road, I just hear this. And I realized he's just swerving into the middle of the road and going over the speed bumps, not noticing either the, the, the sound of the speed bumps or the sight of the speed bumps or him swerving, just him just sunsetting as he thinks about whether or not he's gonna get pancakes or French toast. And at that point, you really need someone to, to take the steering wheel. And uh, it was at that point where I was like, fuck, I should be driving. And so that's where we're at. And so let's, let's, for our final topic of the day, let's talk about the Veep stakes. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden has narrowed his, his selection of possible Veep people. Uh, and they, they're probably going to be announced um, in the next couple of weeks before the, um, before the convention. And uh, he's rightly decided that the, 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 the voice that needs to be heard right now are the voices of women and the voices of, of people of color. And so most of the candidates he's looking at are people who are, are women of color who have come from an experience that he doesn't understand necessarily, or he has not been in. And, you know, these are the folks that are going to take over the car if he becomes president when he starts going bah, 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 on the way to the hickory pit of destiny. So there's a couple of folks that are popping up. Um, Kamala Harris, since she has she has like the national prominence, um, but also there's an opportunity for him to look like I'm burying the hatchet and I'm a good guy because she opposed me at first, but now we're on the same team and I'm bringing her in and a team of rivals. Um, but it, it seems like her odds have slipped a couple a little bit in the last couple of days because like Chris Dodd, former Senator Chris Dodd, an old friend and ally of Joe Biden, is coming in and saying, "No, she made you look bad. Don't pick her." You know, I have my own issues why I think she might be a troublesome candidate and liability on the ticket, but not because of that. Shut up, Chris Dodd. <laughs> so I sometimes <laughs> like Chris Dodd. I mean, you know, Dodd Frank and, and, and all that, but 
shut up. And then there's Val Demings, who is a, she's a woman of color and she was a, a former, um, I think she was like a police officer actually. So she also can bring to the table a conversation of, I know what it's like to be, uh, to be a, both a black life and a, and a blue life. Um, and uh, um, <laughs> uh, Stacey Abrams, um, also, also a possibility. Um, and the one that is like really troublesome to me is Susan Rice. And um, Susan Rice, as we all know, was sort of at this, the, the center of the, the Clinton email scandal. So she, and she has never run or been elected to political office, but she's like served in like all of the administrations <laughs> except for uh, 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 Trump, it seems. Um, and it's just an extreme liability, but she seems to be like, a, but she's obviously a very accomplished, intelligent, uh, brilliant woman. This, I'm not... I, I'm sure I could be called, you know, racist and and uh, and sexist for for saying I don't think she's a good pick, but she's definitely a fucking liability. And the and you hear things in the the uh, Democratic establishment, but it's like, yeah, but since the Trumpsters hate her so much, like putting her on the ticket is just like an epic dunk. Like, is that really what this is about, or is this about picking someone who we can competently uh, uh, put in the driver's seat? Once Grandpa crashes into uh, crashes into uh, the the hostess desk of of the Hickory Pit, so no, I don't know it's about winning. So let's Lee. let's ask you two questions. Of course, it's about winning. It's a game. And frankly, the thing that, that that there's nothing on the stage, and I hate to say it, it's sex appeal. And I'm not saying that we have to pick a woman that's like that's hot, <laughs> but at the end of the day. That is sort of like what none of the tickets have right now. And it's disgusting. I don't agree that there should, I think it should be the most competent person, the most competent woman. But that is always the lens through which it is seen is who is interesting on television. If you go back to, to Kennedy, it's always the person who's most interesting on television that wins ever since they started publicizing or uh, televising the debates, right? It's always the most interesting person on TV. Reagan making jokes, uh, 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 Bush playing saxophone. Uh, and when it came to Trump though, I, I, I was like, you know what, I think my, my theory is gonna be proven wrong. And even though he's way more interesting on TV than Clinton, uh, I think he's going to lose. And of course I was wrong. I should have stuck with, I should have stuck with my, my theory. And then I would have been a prophet, not a crazy man. Um, but I'll ask, I'll ask you two questions, Ben, who do you think is going to win the veep stakes? And if you were Joe Biden, who do you think you would put on the ticket? Who will win? Um, oh, so you don't, you don't get, let me answer who, I would want to see. So who no, no, the, will yeah, there's, win? No, no, that, that, that's the second question. The first is who's going to be on the ticket, and the second is who do you who would you want to put on the ticket? So that's the second one. Uh, either Barbara Lee or Karen Bass. They're the oh, most yeah. progressive, well known, but uh, yes. So they would be the best. Who is going to win? Uh, well, see what I what we don't know is who of the front runners would actually say yes or whether they're using yeah. it for their own like Stacey Abrams, for instance. Maybe she still 
she doesn't want to be going to DC yet. We don't know. We might yeah, never she might know. be still trying to work uh, a career in Georgia, a career exactly. in Georgia. Because she was definitely treated very unfairly in that election in many ways may have been stolen in Georgia. Was it the mm-hmm. gubernatorial was that gubernatorial race? Gubernatorial. The gubernatorial mm-hmm. race for Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Um, Barbara Lee, la- I used to call her the last sane woman in America or the last sane person in America. Because like she great. was she was like one of the only people and she represented Berkeley, uh, which, you know, we're both, we both lived in the Bay Area for many years. Uh, and she was one of the few congresswomen who opposed uh, uh, the war on terror. And while all of, you know, everyone was just goose-stepping to the Imperial March off to the Great American Crusade, she was the, like one of the few people who was like, whoa, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. So I think Barbara Lee would be a great choice. Um, but yeah, who do you, so who do you think will win? I think it might be Stacey Abrams. I yeah. think he's... Yeah. Yeah. Unless he just goes for pure name recognition, which I think is um, it's Kamala. I think for the U.S. Uh, yeah. Mm, well, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, who would? Who do I think will be put on the ticket? Yeah, I think it's either Kamala or Stacey Abrams. Um, uh, who would I want to put on the ticket? Damn. Okay. I'm going to step way back because honestly, we got to fight fire with fire and we need a, um, we need a, uh, somebody who knows how to fucking work TV. And um, I'm going to have to go Queen Bay, Beyonce. Who run the world? Oh, wow. Girls run the world. So all this, all, fuck yeah. Because you know, like Joe Biden would get on stage and uh, he'd be like, my fellow. And then they would be like, um, come on, all my ladies, let's get in formation. And then like all of, the, all of these fucking women would, would just like push Joe Biden off the stage and he would fall and hit his head, but no one would be paying attention. And then she would do like this amazing um, performance art piece that was both music, but then she would stop and give like an amazing speech and inspire uh, uh, so many young people to fucking love a leader in a way they haven't in a long time, that they go out to the ballot box and they vote for fucking Beyonce Knowles. Meanwhile, they've, they've forgotten that they just knocked Joe Biden off. He's bleeding out. <laughs> <laughs> on the ground and uh they're like oh shit biden's dead and then they go um all right uh, well let's 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 go to a round of voting for the nomination and that goes to the floor and all of the delegates or the what do they call them at the convention yes um, yeah. delegates all the delegates vote and in a unanimous decision Queen Bay, the Queen Bee, I don't know how it's pronounced because I'm a stupid white man mansplaining this, rises to the podium and accepts their nomination, not as a task, not as an honor, not even as destiny, but as an expression of the will of God. And all, 
all of the fucking Christian people who've been oh, holding their tongue or just like oh, holding their nose and supporting Trump, they see the power of the universe inside her. And they, they turn on Trump. Or maybe they don't, even, they don't turn on Trump, they just don't vote for him. They don't go out. They're like, I can't vote for a Democrat, but yeah, and I then, can't vote against this woman. Yes, and then, a, and then a, a day or a generation later, we realize we've been electing people to win a horse race. Yes. That have never expressed any interest in governing, because it is a government still, mm-hmm. have no experience with it, have shown no sign of any interest in it. So it's just all a big fucking game. And uh, it doesn't even fucking matter. And that's the point. Just to complete, so Congress, well, yeah, so Congress comes together. Give up on everything. And this is, and I think if we survive Trump, I think this will be the, this is what I always said will be the best output. Um, Congress decides, okay, we, we have to limit the power of the presidency. It's gone way out of bounds. The guy is supposed to sign or veto laws and then enforce the laws, okay? He's not able to ban TikTok, okay? Or unilaterally bomb the shit out of other countries, okay? Uh, he can't allocate funds. I mean, that's, that's the thing is the president's like taking money to build his wall. You can't do that. That's what Congress does. He's deciding when he wants to fucking bomb Syria. He doesn't get to do that. Congress decides when we go to war. And I'm not saying Trump's the first one to do this, but Trump's the one that like has made people realize that like the presidency has become so powerful that when you get somebody who's incompetent in there, it puts everything and everyone on the planet at risk. And then we dial back the presidency to what it was sort of originally seen as, which was just kind of like the head of state. And, you know, he would have parties and and wine and dine. He would use the bully pulpit to influence Congress, but he couldn't do whatever he wanted unilaterally. And he would appoint judges. And that's about it. If Congress actually ran this country, Trump wouldn't be that much of a problem. He just, we could just have a president who's a goofball. And, and Congress could kind of go about its work and the people could sort of, based on um, whomever the president's understanding is the peop- of the people, could, could influence the president as to whether or not he will sign or veto those laws. You know, I'm reminded this past weekend when I was camping we were with uh, two people I just met, both from England. Yeah. Um, and just one of the comments has just stuck with me. Uh, she said something along the lines of like, it's just like our base level of trust in our government, yeah. no matter what party stripe, whatever, is just very low. And I think things <laughs> like this, you know, that's, it's, it's a bit, and it's also, yeah, it's insane. And this is, this is where we're at. And um, it's uh who knows? But yeah, I'd vote for Beyonce, I guess. I wouldn't even, I would just, I'm not even, gonna, I mean, I'm not even going to vote. It's a no, point, it's just that. one vote. Yeah, I'll vote for you. I'm going to write you in. I'll take it. If 65 million people decide that one vote doesn't count, well, that's 65 million votes. So I'm not deciding 65 million votes are going to, I'm saying one. Uh, I'm going to seem- vote. Of course, I'm going to vote Lee. Don't buy into the whole, like, don't buy into it. 
And yeah, maybe we go. So here's the thing. People say like, oh, well, Hillary won the popular vote. Maybe we should go to a popular vote. But like, I think Trump probably would have won the popular vote. He would have just shifted his strategy. And like, he did have a strategy. They went after I, a fucking swing state that, that she assumed, wasn't even campaigning in. I don't know. I mean, no, we, we know 120 million people saw uh, ads from that were paid for yeah. by Russia and then yes. all sorts of bot stuff. He oh, wouldn't they have won just, the popular vote. They just stopped. Uh, yeah, I may be right. They just stopped uh, running ads for the foreseeable future. They might have. They might start up again on Monday, but they pulled a call. Oh, they will certainly ad. start ramping yeah. it up. Well, they had a changeover uh, in the the campaigns that like that bearded fascist guy, the computer yeah. guy, he's gone. But we gotta. I Brad mean, part Pascal of our level of distrust in in government, but then it's also that our our lack of even talking about what government is and isn't. Yes. Because. And that's, this is one of the critiques of the Democratic Party for the last 40 years is it's so focused on D.C. It's like, what about the other 100,000 units of local government we have? Yeah. And there's abysmally low participation in those elections. Yeah. Like some places are like 8% of people show up to vote for stuff that actually day to day is more noticeable. I think you should be fine life. for not voting. We got to, but then, but what I'm saying is that it's just, it's this level of trust, even if, I mean, I guess at least you're going to vote, but it just shows it's like how we have to start coercing people into it. It's, that's not a good <laughs> yeah, sign. I know, you're right. You're right. You're right. But you know, I mean. Well, because people it, realize it doesn't work. People see uh, what happened in 2000 the, and they're like, okay. Okay, it doesn't work. They see right. what happens in 2000. But we don't think about like, what the alternative work. is. Well, the alternative it, works, is it, it has laws it's not flawless but then the alternative are it's all sorts of things that are dystopic or otherwise but it's like just because something is you know breaks every once in a while doesn't mean you give up on it you fix it but here we just give up and we privatize and then Uh, we get things like trump and you know all sorts of other stuff it's uh it's uh you know it's interesting scary times i gotta say well, I was saying the other day to somebody, I'm what you would call a fatalistic optimist. I'm going to assume that the world will be consumed in hellfire and uh, uh, descend into the end of times. But I'm optimistic. It might not. And if it, if it doesn't, yay. And if it does, eh, fuck. I was, I was, I'm prepared for this. Yeah, I think we at least got to buy. I think what we need are arsenal. We need seeds for the ground yes. and then Mexican yes. pesos and Canadian dollars just Hell in yeah. case we got to leave. All right, let's give our listeners three things uh, to do uh, to to forestall the demise of, uh, of, of freedom. No, no, no. Be prepared for the fall. Let's Be get prepared. them ready. Okay. All right, three As Ai Weiwei said, we could fight our whole lives for progressive change and, and, and things might not yeah. change. So let's at least be ready for, okay. you know, I think our listeners are out there fighting, but let's, what's in our to-go bag, you know? Okay. Analog media, okay. okay. Books and records. Okay. Because uh, especially books, but, but records as well, because um, if the, if there's an EMP attack from North Korea and like we just lose all power on the Western seaboard for like 40 days or something, uh, you're, you're not going to be able to necessarily uh, rig together um, a little bike pedal based uh, uh, voltaic system to turn your computer on, but you might be able to pedal enough to get a record player going. And books, 
can always have information in them no matter who knocks the power out. So I'm going to say that mm -hmm. my first, we'll go back and forth. That's my first one. Analog media. Mine is, okay, mine is uh, have seeds because, you know, think about your needs. You, mm -hmm. You're not going to bring water for that long. You can't carry that much. So you, you, you need to learn how to find it. But you need seeds. And over the next, you know, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. Start learning a little bit more about what it actually takes to grow food because um, it's not always as easy as just throwing seeds in the ground and pouring on water. You might get a little bit. But right. you'll probably, you'll get maybe a 10th of what you would if you had a little more knowledge. So, so work on that knowledge while also having some seeds ready right. to go for planting. Okay, great. So we got analog media and we have seeds. Okay, my turn. Um, all right, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say, um, analog transport <laughs> or physical transport. Have, uh, have bikes and skateboards and other ways of getting around without fossil fuels. Mm, that's smart with like a little rigged up puller cart mm -hmm. thingy. Yeah. Okay. And a mountain bike. Don't get one of those silly skinny tired road bikes. No, 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 no. no. Something you can you actually, gotta, yeah. A four, three inch tires. You got to assume the roads are fucked. Um, okay. So, so far we have analog media, seeds, and uh, um human powered uh, uh conveyance so we're mm -hmm. reading those are good we're reading we're eating and we're and we're on the move great okay i was gonna say other currencies but i'm gonna assume at this point those are kind of worthless or just scrip so mm -hmm. um a couple of tools that would make it a lot easier to fashion some shelter so not ah. just trying to find something to sleep under, but, you know, you want to always have some really sturdy string, um, a metal, like a hatchet or something that can cut with a lot of force and doesn't break easily. Okay. Great. Because saws, I've seen a friend break a saw. Those break. And so those two, and then I'm missing something, but something where you could... You know, you got the really strong string, you got the hatchet type thing, and there's one other, just a couple of tools so you can build yourself some shelter in a matter of hours rather than days. Mm, okay. The means by which to create shelter. All right. So is that, okay, so we've got uh, analog media, seeds, human conveyance, uh, and uh, the uh, means to create shelter. Okay. We each going to have two more, or each going to have one more rather, and then we'll have had our three. Uh, I'm going to say empathy. I remember, uh, 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 at the, the first, <laughs> the first, uh, a week that we were all going into lockdown mode, being at target. And there was like two water jugs left and, um, I reached for them and then someone else reached for them too. And my, like, part of me wanted to just grab both of them and not look at them. And the other part was like, no, this person needs water too. Trying to think like them for a second. And I was not to suck my own dick, but I was proud of myself at that moment. So empathy. Okay. That's interesting. Cause I was on that note of dick sucking. <laughs> I was thinking male and female protection. Cause you don't want to go ah. you know, having a, I've been a kid in this time. Having too many, you, you, you want to have a little control and you know, 
whether you or someone you come across, you want to be able to give protection so that there's not just a ton of extra babies in this tough time. Population control. Ooh, I when, when we talked to uh, when we I remember once mentioning population control to Brother Josh, who we've had on the program before. He was like, "Whoa, what are you talking about? Like that's bad." And I'm like, "No, no, no. I don't mean like ethnic cleansing. I mean just like, just you know." Wear yeah. condoms, <laughs> and I think for men, it's kind of related to a form of empathy because we could easily just escape, wake up in the morning, and run away. I see. Um, so protecting each other, you're saying? No, but the, the idea of that, uh, the ability to still have have sex, but that the uh, choice of having a child is in the hands of the the, the baby carrier, the women. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. So it's kind of it's empathy really come from men that it's because you know like the machismo is like what, what does it matter i'll just leave it's like well what about her and the baby that's yes. not fair all right all right folks so fatalistic optimism shit might be fucked up but i think it's going to be okay in order to keep it okay hang on to your books and your records okay get some seeds the means to grow your own food all right. Um, make sure you have the means to convey yourself through your own uh, your own physical strength, a bike, skateboard. Um, make sure that you can build your own structure so that in a quick amount of time you can you can shelter yourself from the elements. Um, be empathetic, even when you're pitted against people. Um, and finally, um, her body, her choice. Respect the. Uh, still enjoy being able to fuck but ultimately realizing that uh, that that women should have control over the reproductive process since they're the ones who actually have to do all of the heavy lifting literally and figuratively um and that's about it that's it yeah okay make sure some of those seeds are weed yes bring weed hello weed so it's gonna be cool, um, dude. We're gonna we're gonna I'll ride my are bike. Are shortwave radios useful? Like they always have those in these post-apocalyptic movies, but oh, it's like, yeah. what about when the battery dies? Well, that's what you, you got to get one of those hand crank radios. Oh, a hand crank radio, because yes. then you so can an communicate NPR, with other people. You have to have an NPR. Uh, uh, okay, I'm gonna let's let's com- let's combine our last two into just empathy, and then we'll. Um, the, at, the last thing will be an NPR subscription so you can get your hand crank radio. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, let's do another list for people who don't really leave big cities oh, okay. and don't okay. actually know what survival means. So the first thing to have in your survival kit is an NPR subscription. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, wait, what? Okay, we're doing so another now, list. We're doing a set. Ah, oh, we don't have to do the second list. I like our first list. I think this I'm list tired. creation. Was, I am too. We're gonna go about our day, do something else. I think this list was fantastic. Great. Um, you'll survive at least an extra few months, if not years, and be one of the people that makes it to the next phase of human history. Awesome. With, with this list of six or five. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll see you there, buddy. I'm going to I'm going to throw my favorite records, the soundtrack to Superman 1978 into my bike and I'm going to ride it over there and you'll be growing pot <laughs> and then we'll smoke it. Yeah. And then uh, 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 what else are we going to do? Oh, we're going to then we'll eat 
then we'll live in shelters, and then we'll fuck our wives, but respect their bodies. Respectfully, yes. Respectfully. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, for Ben, for Lee, I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. We'll be back soon, folks. Any any last words, Ben? Let's let's end it there. I love it. Okay.